We're starting something new today. We're going into the Old Testament. We haven't done that for a while. You know, it's it's over half of our Bible is the Old Testament. And yet, for many churches, they never even go into it. But we do. And we try to take a book at a time. And so the book we're going to go into now is Judges. So if you have your Bible, this is going to be in our whole season that we're going to go through. We're going to go through some text. So you want to bring your Bible if you have one. We have Bibles you can take home with you. But to actually see the Word of God, I'm hoping... I'm hoping we get to. This is an incredible book that God has for us to learn from. The Holy Bible. When I say that, I, I, you know, you remember, and I know many of us grew up in the church or you've been, been around the church and you kind of think, hey, I know all scripture, Paul writes, is profitable for rebuke and for training and exhortation, training in righteousness. And for many people, what they do then is they take that where Paul's writing about the Old Testament there in Timothy. And they go back to the Old Testament with a passion to understand and be impacted by the Word of God. But if you're not careful, pastorally in the many years that I've been even medically talking to Christians who have come to me as a doctor, some of the greatest damage is done by thinking God's telling them something by mistaking the Old Testament, not understanding rightly what's going on. There's a man who, uh, I, I, I won't say his name, but you know, a matter of basic life principles, he said, and he drew out these principles to live by from the Old Testament. Zero Jesus. And people grabbed hold of that and put it in their heart and went off running and 20, 30 years later woke up to, oh no, I've done this with my life. Watch out. So I say that pastorally in my heart. It's like, if you're not careful, you can use the Old Testament wildly and wrongly. So we want to be careful. Check on me. As we go through this amazing book that God gave us, you got to get your pillars right. If you don't get them right, you're going to start looking for life principles by which you can please God. And you're talking about something wildly out of context. What do I mean? I mean this. You know that, oh... 30 years ago, nobody used a cell phone. You know about 70 years ago, people didn't use TVs? 120 years ago, nobody used planes to fly places. You want to go visit Europe? Let's take the two-month trip. Your life changes. And we are talking about a book this morning that's 3,000 years old. Whoa. 3,000, 200 years ago, no one had electricity. You didn't turn on lights. You lit a candle. And so things have changed radically in terms of how we function culturally, how we function technologically. And if you go back and you try and take the Bible, rip it out of its context and plop it down in your lap, oh, be careful. And it's not just with technology, right? It's It's culture. Right? The culture is way different. The ideas of science and how the world works and, 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 and boy, of relationships, right? How men and women interacted. You know, there's a patriarchy going on 3,000 years ago that's not going on today. And if you try and take that out and say, well, it's God's way because it's in the Bible, you're taking the Bible wrongly. 
And yet people do, because they think, well, it's God has got to be perfect, and our view of inerrancy means that the Bible has to be perfect in, 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 in every respect that I can imagine. And, and so, no, the person God used to write judges had no idea cell phones were coming. He didn't care. The reason why God preserved that is not to talk about social media. Not in any particular way. So, so we have to be very careful about what we think the Bible, the Bible's so near to our heart, so important for you to understand. And we come and gather it around today to get, I want to know, what do you want to know? I want to know what God wants me to hear. So, so, so we, we, we can't just go hunting for principles to apply for good living. Because there's another theological massive difference between the Old Testament and you. What is it? It's the cross, right? Jesus Christ came. The covenant changed. We're going to hear the word covenant today. It's not talking about your covenant. God, amazingly, has made you and I part of a story. And you want to hear the story because it informs who we are and who God is. And it's so chair we, oh, we come around to worship this amazing God who's gone and found us and has given us hope. And he's our God. And, and boy, we stand together and we link arms and we take communion and we get baptized to associate with Jesus and, and all these things we do. But you got to realize the Old Testament helps us understand primarily where we are in the story. There's wisdom for daily living. There's all those things, too. We'll touch on some of them. But if you don't get the perspective, if you don't come back up and say, okay, I've been redeemed. Jesus Christ died for me. It worked. Now I'm looking at how we got here. And so we're going to go back into Judges, and it's an amazing, has lots to say, I think, even about people who who know Jesus how humanity is, how we are in our flesh, how we need Jesus. And then also, what's the heart of God? This is the same God. The God of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob is your God. He's the only God that matters. He's the one. And what's his character? What is he like? That hasn't changed, you know. And we come around in the Old Testament that God preserved for you and me is to show this incredible heart that he has towards you. It hasn't changed. In fact, it's more amazing when we start thinking about books like Judges. The depth of our God's amazing heart for us just starts to glow. Because I want to say this even before we start. I am not an Israelite. Neither are you. All of us, if we're going to find ourselves in the story, we want to go back 3,000 years. Go ahead and call yourself a Hizite, an Amorite, an Amalekite, or anotherite. We are the nations who God, in the Old Covenant, as example, said, no, they have no place. And yet, Ephesians says, those who had no place have been what? Brought near by the blood of Jesus. (laughs) I just, this is a story that's so, wow, I have no deserving at all. Not just of a church building somewhere, but of anything. And yet, we get Jesus. So as we go through the thing that we're going to see over and over and what we have this vantage point is that those who have received the gift of righteousness in Christ, please don't go back and try and find your righteousness in doing judges. But we'll see in judges that our only hope is forgiveness, not sin management. 
Oh, that God would forgive us. So, so I, we pick judges. Say, why, why are we doing judges? Judges, I don't even know. I kind of know Samson, but I'd otherwise, I don't know all these folks. Well, yeah, you know, maybe a Sunday school stories, but you don't know what's actually happening in this amazing story of God's heart for you and me. So we're going to spend some time. We're going to take the stories and I hope you get opened up so that when you see your Bible, you want to read it. You want to say, I want to read judges. I want to see God's heart for people who are flawed and failing. Okay, so judges. Uh, It's a real interesting spot in God's sort of plan and displaying the need for Christ. So let's look at the spot for a minute, and then let's dive into the text. So here's the spot. God took one pagan nobody from nowhere who's ever heard of Ur. And he made him and promised him, I'm going to make you a nation. I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to bless you. His name is Abram, right? I'm even giving you a new name, Abraham. And he took that guy by an upside down way, right? Of taking Joseph into slavery and then the people coming down and multiplying. He made them a nation. This man became a nation with all of his descendants, but they were all enslaved. And then here comes God and he delivers them. That's an exodus. And God brings them out and God leads them. And, and it's, it's just an amazing, powerful story by the Red Sea into the wilderness where he fed them and he went before them and he brought them into a land that he promised them would be theirs. The promised land. Canaan. The Bible says God went before them. The Bible shows in Joshua how Joshua, Yeshua, that's Jesus to you and me, led them. Again through the water of the Jordan, miracle after miracle, walls were following, falling, victories were happening, foes were trembling, the sun stood still. Remember we did this book a few years ago, Joshua. God fought for Israel, his people. Pretty amazing picture of God going before and making a people and delivering a people and blessing a people through Joshua, Yeshua, all pointing forward to Jesus. A different culture, different time, different relationship, but not so unlike the truth that we've got a Joshua. He frees us by his might and his alone. And so now, now we get to do, you and I, what happened next? So God made a people, and God gave them the land, and God went before them, and God fought for them, and God delivered them, and Yeshua led them. And now, today, that's why I called this particular message as we start, after Joshua died. What happened? So this morning we're covering, you know, it's a book already. I've given you this little introduction, but actually we're, this is an introduction. The book has an introduction. The introduction is the first two chapters and another few verses that introduces what's going to be the main meat of the, of the whole thing, which is these stories of these incredible judges that we get to look at. It'll be fun. But this first piece is called the failure of a second generation. Because... Because you can't get away from the reality that these people saw and their parents knew deeply the wonder of the miracle of what was happening. Nobody would ever go against God if that was the case, right? Wrong. Okay, so let's take a look. And and again, I'm going to encourage you to follow through with the Bible at some point and read along. But I'm trying this today to show you the flow is to put it on the screen and just read through it together. It's a lot of text, but we're going to have fun with it, I hope. 
So this first piece is this incredible blessing. Just we start with the reality that God is for his people. I don't know if you feel that already in your heart. I do. But just to see it, even in the Old Testament, God is for his people. So let's pick it up. Judges chapter 1, verse 1. Here we go. After the death of Joshua, the people of Israel inquired of the Lord, who shall go up first for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? The Lord said, Judah shall go up. Behold, I've given the land into his hand. And Judah said to Simeon, his brother, come up with me into the territory allotted to me that we may fight against the Canaanites. And likewise, I will go with you into the territory allotted to you. So Simeon went with him. Okay, pause there for a minute with me. This starts off. It just starts off with action, right? Oh, hey, who's going to go up and keep going? So so drop you right in the middle of where Joshua left off. God is for Israel. They're taking the land that God had promised them. Joshua died, right? But the kingdom keeps going. God's, God's end. And actually, that's always been the case. In Exodus, who died? To begin Exodus, Joseph did. But God's plan kept going. And, and, and then in, 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 uh, in Joshua, it starts with Moses dying, but God's plan still happens. Here in Judges, it starts with Joshua dying and God's plan still goes on. We're going to see in First Kings, when we get there eventually someday, that David dies, but the plan keeps on going. God's kingdom. And then this amazing unity as we start, right? Because Judah is huge. Judah's massive. Judah's big. And Simeon is little. So how cool. It's this amazing picture. Judah says to Simeon, hey, come help me, you guys, and then I'll help you. Should go the other way. Simeon should come begging to Judah, saying, please help us because you're huge. So fun. He didn't need him. So he says, come on, brother, let's, let's help each other. And they say, sure, and God's with them. Such a great salvation. Such a wonder. Here they go. Then Judah went up, and the Lord gave the Canaanites and the Perizzites into their hand, and they defeated 10,000 of them at Bezek. They found Adonai Bezek at Bezek and fought against him and defeated the Canaanites and the Perizzites. Okay, this is the introduction, right? They're just starting off to show you this, this flavor of presentation of God for his people, and he's in the earthly things we care about. And and I just, even in this old introduction, and it's... It's going to be silly maybe to you, but I think to the readers, it wouldn't be. There's there's justice in here. There's a little romance in here. There's a little intrigue in here. Because God's in all this stuff, the daily stuff we, we care about and we do. Look at this. This is justice, verse 5. Adonai Bezek, he's the main king there they were fighting against. He fled, but they pursued him and they caught him and cut off his thumbs and big toes. Doesn't sound like justice. <laughs> what are they doing? Yeah, look what he says. And Adonai Bezek said, 70 kings with their thumbs and their big toes cut off used to pick up scraps under my table. As I have done, so God has repaid me. And they brought him to Jerusalem, and he died there. Yeah, he says in this introduction, I deserved it. Right? It's not a principle for us to take away. Don't go cutting off anyone's thumbs or big toes. 
But justice is happening. God leads it and God's blessing them and their success. And it says the men of Judah fought against Jerusalem and captured it and struck it with the edge of the sword and they set the city on fire. And afterwards, the men of Judah went down to fight against the Canaanites who lived in the hill country, in the Negev and in the lowland. And Judah went against the Canaanites who lived in Hebron. Now the name of Hebron was formerly Kiriath Arba. And they defeated Sheshai and Ahiman and Talmai. I am making no claims to pronouncing any name right. <laughs> might sound right because I'm fluid, but it might not be right. That's not the point, right? You don't even know where these places are. It's okay. Hebron would become kind of a little bit of an important place. We can track it later. But for now, what you're supposed to see is God's for them. They're taking everything. Why? Because God's giving it to them. Why? God blesses them. Why? They're his people. Success. And then a little romance. I told you there was. From there they went against the inhabitants of Debir. The name of Debir was formerly Kiriath Sefer. And Caleb said, he who attacks Kiriath Sefer and captures it, I will give him Aksha, my daughter, for a wife. I don't know if the name like Aksha. <laughs> and Othniel, the son of Kenza, or sorry, Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, captured it, and he gave him Aksha, his daughter, for a wife. And she came to him, she urged him to ask her father for a field. And when she dismounted from her donkey and Caleb said to her, what do you want? She said to him, give me a blessing since you've set me in the land of the Negev. Give me also springs of water. And Caleb gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. That's romance? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the culture, right? Uh, and you say, well, I'm a little bit, I don't like this. I mean, that's... um it's kind of cousins getting married. Yeah, that's what they, they did. That's the culture there. Don't, don't go there. Go here. See, see, see what it is. Othniel and she tells him. So in the culture, it's like, oh yeah, give him. But there's this cool interaction going on. That would be a tiny bit. She tells him, hey, ask for a field. And what's she going to do? I'm going to ask for the springs and together we'll have a cool, awesome life together. You get the land. I'll get the water. And so that's this little plan that they do, and they do it, and they have this great place, and Othniel gets a bride, and together they have this fantastic spot with the land and springs. All around what you're seeing, success. Success. Even even just people who are associated with them. The descendants of the Kenite, Moses' father-in-law, went up with the people of Judah from the city of Palms into the wilderness of Judah, which lies in the Negev near Arad. And they went and settled with the people. And and Judah went with Simeon, his brother. Hey, just like he said he would. They defeated the Canaanites who inhabited Zippoth and, and devoted it to destruction. And so the name of the city was called Hormah. Judah also captured Gaza with its territory and, and Ashkelon with its territory and Ekron with its territory. And the Lord was with Judah. And and he took possession of the hill country, but he couldn't drive out the inhabitants of the plains because they had chariots of iron. Now, that's kind of the first mention of chariots of iron. I mean, think about 3,000 years ago. Sherman tanks, dude. Big, massive. How do you get those are big? I get it. Okay, and, and Hebron was given to Caleb, as Moses had said, and he drove out from it the three sons of Anak. Super important. They have Anakim, right? But the people of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who lived in Jerusalem. So the Jebusites have lived with the people of Benjamin in Jerusalem to this day. <laughs> what are a few Jebusites in Jerusalem? 
And, and then a little intrigue. Right there, all success all around. We're still going through success. Actually, I went ahead a little too far. The house of Joseph also went up against Bethel, and the Lord was with them. And the house of Joseph scouted out Bethel. Now the name of the city was formerly Luz. And the spies saw a man coming out of the city. And they said to him, please show us the way into the city, and we will deal kindly with you. And he showed them the way into the city. And they struck the city with the edge of the sword, but they let the man and all his family go. And the man went to the land of the Hittites and built a city there and called its name Luz. And that's his name to this day. So secret passageways, guys. Cool. And the snow day, I heard all the, like, well, the guys made a cavern of tunnels they could go under because the snow was so deep. It's kind of like that. It's like, how do I get into the city? We don't know how to get in. And, and says, oh, I find somebody. Now. Hey, I'll be kind to you. I guess kindness says we won't kill you. But, but there it is. We won't kill you if you just show us the way in. So they show them the way in, and they sneak in, and they take the city, and God's with them. And like, oh, they snuck through the secret tunnels. God is with them. God is with them. The Lord is with them. Success all around. That's the setting. God's incredible blessing, giving them the land, having taken them from Egypt, having delivered them, having provided for them, having been patient with all of their sin. It's incredible. It's wondrous. This covenant that they would just obey him in the midst. They had this strength from God. I want you to look and see how it turned out. I'm going to call it wasted strength and an unseen emergency. Because look, a litany, Manasseh, this is one of the tribes of Joseph, did not drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shean and its villages, or Tanakh and its villages, or the inhabitants of Dor and its villages, or the inhabitants of Ibliam and its villages, or the inhabitants of Megiddo and its villages. For the Canaanites persisted in dwelling in that land. When Israel grew strong, they put the Canaanites to forced labor but they did not drive them out completely. Okay, okay, Cal, you got to see this. This is kind of important. That, that they were strong. Not they weren't strong enough to get do, do this. They were strong. Strong enough to enslave them all. They put them to forced labor. That's called slavery. They had the power to do what God said, and they didn't. That's kind of reasonable if you think about it, because they needed laborers. I mean, they were doing war, and stuff was going on, and cities were in rubble, so we let's let's get them to serve us. We like that. Why do we need to get rid of them all? And besides, you don't want to drive out people who don't have another home to go to. They're not so unlike us. God will just, we'll be kind. We'll let them stay. I, I know you said that, but... But, and Ephraim did not drive out the Canaanites who lived in Gezer. So the Canaanites lived in Gezer among them. Canaanites in Gezer. Zebulun did not drive out the inhabitants of Kitron or the inhabitants of Nahalal. So the Canaanites lived among them but became subject to forced labor. Asher did not drive out the inhabitants of Akko or the inhabitants of Sidon or of Alhab or Oxib or Helba or Afik or Rehob. So the, the Asherites lived among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land, for they did not drive them out. <laughs> Naphtali did not drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh or the inhabitants of Beth Anath. So they lived among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land. Nevertheless, the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh and Beth Anath became subject to forced labor for them. 
this great idea that they had it spread. Forced labor. Let them stay. After all, not all that different. They're just human beings like us. And, and so this, and you gotta be careful in context. This is 3,000 years ago. This is saying nothing and not applicable to our immigrant crisis. And America is not God's land. We are not in the promised land. So where you're supposed to go is this. God clearly said something to them. They had the strength to do it. Did they do it? No. In fact, the conquest starts to go then the other way, right? Because look at verse 34. The Amorites pressed the people of Dan back to the hill country, for they did not allow them to come down to the plain. Get that? First time. Not Dan put those guys into forced labor, but now they're pushing them back. The Amorites persisted in dwelling in Mount Heres, in, in Aijalon, and in Sha'al Beam, but the hand of the house of Joseph rested heavily upon them. They became subject to forced labor. Oh, we got them in forced labor at least. And the border of the Amorites ran from the ascent of Akrabim from Selah and upward. So those statements back in verse 19 that seem like nothing, and if you look back up, say that they, they couldn't drive out the inhabitants of the land because they had chariots of iron, or Benjamin didn't drive out the Jebusites who lived in Jerusalem, that now it looks like a real problem. This is just the introduction. Like it always does, right, when people don't obey God. They were successful but disobedient. They're not doing it exactly, but it seems to go okay. And so they all disobey. We start to use logic and reason to make our own rules and laws, and even more, people don't obey. So God's people, they've been saved. They've been led by Joshua. They've been given the land. Such a great salvation right in front of them. They don't obey. You can't get more miracles than the sun standing still. You can't get more blessing than God going before you and blessing you so you win all the time. It's a little bit like maybe you don't understand. So so, so maybe if, if you took the Bellingham High School football team, if they still have one. Do they have one? The Flint's here today, so if they have one. And you decide they're going to play in the NFL. And they go 16-0. and And they win the Super Bowl. The Bellingham High School team. <laughs> Sorry, Bellingham High School team. And it never happened. It happens. And all the way, each time, there's a light from heaven that shines them saying, I'm with you, I'm God. Pretty soon, everybody who faces them goes, oh no, we're facing God's team. And those people are going, the only way we're winning at all is because what? God's with us. And God said, do this little thing. And they don't do it. This is what you're supposed to see, is that even in the midst of, of plain, not faith, Results, people can't obey. Don't think you're stronger than them. Not like somehow it's like, oh, those wimps, man, if only they'd been serious. They were serious. There's real consequences. And this is, again, the the introduction is, here comes God, and when God speaks, you want to listen. And in chapter 2, we're just going to use a few verses to get the flavor. We'll pick it up next week. Now the angel of the Lord... The angel of the Lord, it's the messenger of God, it's an angel, right? But, but whenever it says angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, many times it's, it's a, it's a figment for the actual voice of God himself. God's, God's presence 
the angel of the Lord went from Gilgal to Bohem, and he said, I brought you up from Egypt. I brought you into the land that I swore to give your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall break down their altars. Okay, so presence of God comes, God speaks, and when he does, you listen. And he says, I brought you up from Egypt. That's like pregnant with amazing power, miracles and wonders and deliverance. The entire army of Egypt was killed. Their firstborn of the Egyptians were killed while Israel's was saved. And God went before them with a pillar of fire. I did that, says God. And I brought you into the land that I swore. That promise of 500 years ago. I can't even... Having years ago for me would be what? For us today, it would be what? The 1500s? You remember the 1500s? No. I made a promise then, and you know what? I did it. For you. I did not forget. I never forget. I always keep my promise. I will never break my covenant with you. Faithful, 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 faithful is God. And and then... And then this is what I ask, that you wouldn't ally yourself with these people, that many people, like our own Mike Heiser, went off to start a big school in Florida around this theology, says what's going on here, why they had to go out, was was because of demonic activity where demons and, and, and came down to women and made abominations. And God was saying, this has to go. It's not just randomness. God's not doing random things. The remnants of the Nephilim, the Anakim, the product of demonic activity. God said, don't be around them. And, 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 but you, he says, have not obeyed my voice. And then there's this, what is this you have done? Man, if that doesn't echo the garden, God knows what they've done. So is the covenant over? No, but there's this consequence, right? So now I say, I will not drive them out before you. They shall become thorns in your sides. Their gods shall be a snare to you. As soon as the angel of the Lord spoke these words to the people of Israel, the people lifted up their voices and wept, and they called the name of the place Bohem. That means weeping. And they sacrificed there to the Lord. They feel it, right? Oh, we've made God upset. We've upset because of the curse. Maybe it's hard to know. So now God's not going to be with us. We're going to... Instead of being 16 and 0 or 16 and 1. He's not saying, I abandon you. He's not saying, oh, now go back and redouble your efforts to kick him out. It's just disobedience. It's hard for you. I did this for you. I know it's best for you. And they're going to be trouble for you. By the way, I don't mean that, but, but God's not saying they're going to be trouble for him. They're going to be trouble for you. Their gods aren't a snare for God. They're not a stumbling block for God, just for them. Okay, this is the start of the setup this morning, and it's important that we get it, because we, we give this introduction, and this is, this is part one of the introduction. The introduction goes to the beginning of chapter three. I want you to feel this and understand the pillars. Huge, massive success of God for his people. Yeshua, Jesus, even leading his people, and then Yeshua dies. And then the people do what? They sin. After Joshua. They can't hold it together. 
And, and, and the, the problem that they have is the, what, what God has told them clearly and they have trouble doing. The relationship God had with these people is not the relationship he has with you and me. What do I mean? Because he said the word covenant, right? Here's the covenant I made. He didn't make that covenant with me. I'm not in the Mosaic covenant where God says, if you do this, I'll bless you. And if you do this, I'll curse you. But God said, the covenant that I have, I always keep. What covenant do you have? The new covenant. What's that? That in the blood of Jesus, I have forgiveness of sin and I'm totally righteous. What am I tempted to do? Disobey that. What does that mean? Finding my righteousness in me. That's what it means. And God tell you all your righteousness is by the blood of Christ alone? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we gotta make everybody do X. We gotta establish justice on earth. We gotta follow these basic life principles or else God won't like you. What does that go against? The actual covenant that I have with God. That you do too. The amazing thing is that in Christ, you and I, we still fail. We still sin. We still see our sin. And we say, oh no, I sinned. Yeah, we're just like people back there. It hasn't changed. You and I in our flesh here on earth. And we pray a prayer and we say, oh God, forgive me. And he does. But but I still sin. I, I ought not sin anymore because I'm a Christian. Yet I do. Yet that's the whole new covenant. Forgiveness. He forgives you. Do you believe it? That's what it is. We have a king, you know. God is fantastic, and he frees us, and he delivers us, but we don't become sin-free, and the sin that we and others do continues to plague us on this earth. And the answer is, and if only you do better, it's fine to pine for. Kind of rhymes. Sin is fine to shed tears over, like they did. You won't do better. Not necessarily. What we need is a Joshua that doesn't die. What we need is to always obey and never sin. What we need is to be faithful. And, and in what we see with our eyes in the mirror, so we aren't faithful, but we have the statement from God, even in our text this morning, he's always faithful. And then I realize, oh, he sent Christ. What is Christ? Always faithful for who? For me. He became sin so that I might become the righteous of God in him. This is our theology. Because the tears are a, a dead end. What we need is a savior. And the judges will show us that we need a savior. Human saviors w- won't do that are human alone. We need a forever king, a God who would become man and actually save us in spite of our sin, not because we don't sin. That's what they needed 3,000 years ago. That's what they need today. I put that from Hebrews. But of the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. We have a forever king. They didn't have it. They didn't have him. And if today you'll see that what's going on in the Old Testament is not, Oh, if I would only obey God, he will be happy with me. But God is faithful to me. And what I get is total forgiveness. Your life will never be the same. Embrace that Savior. That's our start. Let's pray.